in kind of you know leaving my corporate job to talk about men's mental health and masculinity <laughs> and facilitate conversations and write books and all that sort of stuff it's not necessarily a traditional masculine thing to do and sometimes when i tell people they don't even know what to say because they're like what is that you know they just, just didn't expect it at all <laughs> so there's a level of bravery that's come with that but i love it i love my life and i think what's made it easier is that it's not just me i'm amongst men all the time who are you know being open who are challenging stereotypes who are doing things differently and so when you've got other people around you it's like okay cool well you know it's not just me Welcome to the Big Careers Small Children podcast, formerly known as Leaders with Babies podcast. My name is Ferina Hefti. I am the CEO and founder of the Social Enterprise Leaders Plus and your host today. I've set up this podcast and our award-winning Leaders Plus Fellowship program because I want to give you access to inspiration and practical support so that you can continue to progress your leadership career whilst enjoying your young children in a way that works for you. Today's podcast guest is Elliot Ray. He is the founder of Music Football Fatherhood, which some people describe as the that equivalent of Mumsnet. He's an ex- incredibly honest person, and we talk about all things mental health, equal parenting, which he's super passionate about, and masculinity. He also has a documentary out this week. In fact, it's probably out the day the podcast is out as well on BBC called Becoming Dad, which I am definitely going to watch. And obviously, Elliot is a dad, and I think this just shows how I really, really think that for us to achieve gender equality in senior roles, and and I guess gender equality in the world as a whole, gender equality in caring as well, we must include dads, which is why from the very start, even though lots of people encouraged me to focus only on women, with the Social Enterprise Leaders Plus, I said we must include that in the Leaders Plus Fellowship Programme and I'm proud that about 20% of the fellows last year were that um, and obviously all genders are welcome, not just dads and mums. And on that note, just for those of you who are looking to get access to a physical or online supportive community of peers, the application deadline is 1st of March for the Leaders Plus Fellowship Programme. It's award-winning, it gives you lots and lots of practical support, you have small group coaching to support you to achieve your career vision and your family vision and just to feel a bit more in the driving seat of I guess all the different elements in your life and the whole purpose of it is to make sure that we can you know to support those of you who do press ahead even though it's not easy to support you to still I guess get to those senior roles but do it in a way that works for you on your own terms and to be the pioneers in your places of work I think it's a really brilliant program and it's support <laughs> that view is supported by an external evaluation and lots of re- people who, who said it was life-changing so if you are interested which I really hope you might take a look go on leadersplus.org.uk forward slash fellowship there are hardship fund spaces available for those who are in financial hardship situations, so finance shouldn't be a barrier at all. So if you're ambitious about your career and love your family, then definitely worth checking out. Application deadline is the 1st of March. And if you're listening from abroad, we also have a global community. We also have a group 
just for parents of primary school children in addition to our group for leaders with babies and toddlers. So on to today's conversation with Elliot. A very warm welcome, Elliot, to the podcast. I am really thrilled to have been able to convince you to come onto our show. So a very warm welcome. Why don't we start with you saying who you are, what you do for work and who is in your family? Hey, everyone. And thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So my name is Elliot Ray. And in my family, I have a wife called Sneni. I have a daughter who's six years old. She's called Eleni. And we also have a dog as well <laughs> called Jesse. So uh, there's three of us and a dog. So four. And in for work, I run an organization called Music Football Fatherhood, which is all about open conversations about being a dad. And we do that through various different content means and community means and gatherings. And I also do a lot of talks with organizations about how they can support working dads, about gender equality, about redefining masculinity, and also about dad's mental health as well. So yeah, kind of spread my time across those three things, family, music, football, fatherhood, and my work with companies. Mm-hmm. I bet on Father's Day, you are super busy because everyone wants you to speak. <laughs> so probably if you want to get Elliot to speak, my worth getting in early, uh, as this is recorded in, in um, December. Yeah, so the reason why your work caught my eye is because I saw the words equal parenting on your profile. And that really spoke to me because it's quite surprising. Nowadays, we think, or many of us think, we're in quite equal relationships. You know, equality has come a long way. That's gone share parental leave and so on. But then when people have children, to me, it seems like many couples revert into really old stereotypes. So everything is quite equal until they have children. And then the really traditional breadwinner role comes in again. So yeah, that really stuck out to me. Yeah, yeah. And that is true. That is very true. I mean, the, when we're looking at the gender pay gap, that large disparity, it really starts from the first baby is born into a family. Because normally in the olden times, I would say years ago, and still now, a lot of families, what will happen is the, you know, the mum will maybe go part time or even leave the workplace altogether. And the dad would feel you know I've got a new family now I need to go and provide and he'd probably work hard and delve into his career and end up getting promoted and earning more money so that definitely still exists now you know it is changing a lot of families now are doing things differently and a lot of men want to build deeper relationships with their children they want to experience the wholeness of being a present and active dad they don't want to have that sole pressure of being the breadwinner and having to feel like that you know you have to go and and do a job that maybe you don't actually enjoy but you've kind of walked into it and then you're here now and you have to stay. So I think a lot of us are thinking differently about how we want to design our lives. And that's one of the big reasons I'm into equal parenting. You know, it's all about options, ultimately options that the workplace can provide for families to design the life, how they want, but also options as individuals and specifically as, as men and as dads feeling like we can do things differently to our own parents did differently maybe to our friends and family, differently to our colleagues. And if actually for our, ourselves and our families, it works for us to take shared parental leave or us to to you know, go out part-time or both couples to, you know, both mum and dad to 
to work full time, but juggle that childcare between them. You know, it's all about what works for your family. And I think all my work, a large part of my work is in in working with dads and building community with dads, but also working with organizations about how we can ensure there are options for people to design the life that they want. Mm. And talk me through your story. So were you always this confident that you wanted equal parenting and you wanted to live life differently from your ancestors? Or was it a journey to use that slightly buzzwordy word? Yeah, journey. <laughs> I think <laughs> before I had my daughter, I didn't really think about it too much. I mean, I knew I wanted to be present, but I didn't think about what that would look like so much or, you know, on a practical day-to-day basis. Really? Yeah, not really. I didn't think about it. But I think we had a difficult start to parenting where my daughter was quite ill when she was born. She had something called group B strep, which is a quite serious bacterial infection. And, you know, one in 10 babies will die from this. Another one in 10 will have a lifelong disability after contracting meningitis. So we spent a, a couple of weeks in the hospital and I managed to get a room. So we all had a room in the hospital, which was nice. And I think that experience and the year after probably did shape a lot of my views and motivations. And uh, I think for me, you know, wanting to be there for my family in a difficult period in the year after her birth and being able to work flexibly, working in a workplace that allowed me to change my working pattern about four times in a year, seeing, I guess, firsthand the impact of our decisions on our career. So the decisions that me and my wife would make about childcare, how that would directly impact our careers. And also in doing diversity inclusion work, I was working in the civil service. My last job was as the head of DNI delivery at Treasury. So being very aware from a kind of corporate perspective how how things work as well. So I think all of those different things kind of influenced me quite heavily and got me very interested in the whole thing around equal parenting and equality. And when I say equality, I mean from both sides, you know, from women being able to you know, be senior in the workplace and also being active parents, but also dads being able to have their career and have their job, but also be active in, in the workplace too. So that's taken me on to, you know, being involved in a lot of different research projects. Like for example, this in the community in 2018, they did a, a research project called Equal Lives. So I was heavily involved in the research and promotion of that. And then University of Birmingham, who we work closely with now, they did a research and a tool called the Fathers in the Workplace Toolkit and launched that in Parliament just before the pandemic. Actually, I think it was the last event before the pandemic I went to in Parliament. I was part of kind of launching that. So yeah, now for my work, I'm you know working with lots of different people around this topic. But yeah, it's a passion of it's a passion of mine, both personally, but also in terms of what I can do to influence the world. Mm, mm, interesting. And you mentioned the word masculinity. Has your view of what a man is changed in those last six, seven years? Yeah, <laughs> massively. I think I've changed a lot as well. I had my daughter when I was 31. And you know, in my 20s, I was, I think, I think I've always been quite emotionally intelligent, but I don't think in my 20s, I kind of thought really a lot, to be honest. I kind of just did. And becoming a dad, it does make you reflect <laughs> a lot more about your contribution to, to the world and your family, about equality, about 
mortality, you know, vulnerability. It makes you so exposed, you know, being a parent. There's a lot of stuff that is out of your control, even today. And I was saying earlier, my daughter's off school sick. And it's that balance of, you know, I've got things I need to do, but me and my wife are splitting the day in terms of looking after her. There's things that she needs attention now. She, she needs a lot of attention. She's always asking to be played with. And then she's very clever. She's asking for help with her work and stuff like that. So, you know, I want, want to give her time, but there's all these things that you just don't plan, right? I didn't wake up today. This wasn't the plan for today, <laughs> but it happens. So yeah, in terms of masculinity, I have learned loads about myself and reflected a lot and researched a lot. And I think there's the idea and concept around toxic masculinity, which I think is a loaded term and a term that a lot of people can get very defensive about. But the definition that I like to use by psychology today is that toxic masculinity is the set of strict rules of what a man should be and how they should behave and what they should think. And those rules are quite clear and they resonate. There are rules around not asking for help, suffering pain in silence, around being the breadwinner, around only feeling certain emotions of anger and bravery. Um, you know, the rules like that, which I think a lot of us can resonate with, which are true. And so um, it's about thinking about what I call positive masculinity. And I, I call positive masculinity being man enough to be yourself, which is regardless of how we feel like we should behave or what we should do or how we should be or we should think. It's about what do we really care about? What do we really want to do? And that might mean going against the norm. It might mean taking shared parental leave when no one else in your workplace has done it. It might mean going part-time. It might mean admitting you don't like football, <laughs> you know, there's a variety of different things, but it's about how do we move to positive masculinity, which is ultimately people being able to do what they want to do, regardless of what they feel like they should do. Mm. Yeah, it does take a lot of guts though. And I think whether it is a case of saying, oh, it's fine, I'm not the breadwinner anymore, or saying, oh yeah, I can ask for help. That takes a lot of guts and stepping out of what our grandmothers, grandfathers have done, that takes a lot of guts. Why do you think you had the guts to to be a different dad? Or was it not difficult for you? Was it just like, yeah, I'm totally, you know, I don't need to be this image of 100 years back. But was it easy for you? Yeah, I think it's something that happened naturally. And I also say, you know, I'm not by any means special. <laughs> you know, there's, there's, I'm just maybe more vocal than others. There's lots of dads that are doing things differently than their own parents did and whatnot. I think for me, it was our early experiences, you know, like I was diagnosed with PTSD actually after the traumatic birth of my daughter. And, you know, there was moments in the hospital where when my daughter was born, she was in a bad way. She was had to be resuscitated. At the same time, my wife was losing lots of blood and very difficult moments where we didn't know whether they both survive basically. And I had PTSD. My wife had postnatal anxiety. I think just in that first year, just really kind of, you know, being in the house and being in survival mode, I guess. And part of that meant I was able to, you know, build a really strong connection with my daughter. I guess we were just so thankful that she was there. You know, we were so, so lucky to have her that my perception on fatherhood was probably completely different to how it may have been if everything had gone smoothly. So mm. that kind of really shaped us as a unit, I think. And then I just wanted to be there. I think I wanted to be there for my daughter and my wife. And, and that meant, you know, changing how I worked a little bit. Mm. That's so interesting that that must be one of the toughest experiences anyone can go through. But actually 
it sounds like it's changed you for, mm-hmm. sorry for being cheesy, but you're now, it sounds like you're living a more fulfilled life to an extent mm-hmm. as a result or a deeper life. And that's really interesting. Just on another topic, you know, you mentioned you had PTSD and that is, I think it's really hard to, for anyone to ask for help around mental health or to notice that something is wrong. Mm. Both men and women, it's hard, but probably for men even more so. What have you learned about, I guess, ben, how to recognize that something is wrong and then to ask for help? Mm. Yeah, I think recognizing it is key, actually, because sometimes when it comes to perinatal mental health in men, it can look a little bit different to women. So men are more likely to maybe you know, substance abuse or overworking or anger and outbursts of course they can also have the i guess you know more traditional symptoms around sadness and isolation and stuff like that but sometimes people don't know actually that they're maybe not as in control as they think they are and i've had you know friends that become new parents and suddenly start drinking a lot yeah before i wouldn't have necessarily thought anything of it but now i might think oh actually what, what is that you know why are they suddenly drinking more than they did before or maybe why are they overworking? Why are they staying at work and delving themselves into work more than necessarily they need to? So I think recognizing it is important and knowing what those signs are. I think probably maybe the bigger thing is actually being able to seek help for it. You know, when we think about those those ideas about toxic masculinity of not seeking help, like we know that when it comes to referrals for um, psychological referrals, self referrals to the NHS around 67% of or so of those are women. Men are less likely to go to the GP, whether that's for mental health or physical health. We're less likely to, you know, talk to friends and family about the challenges that we have. So yeah, dads and men in general are a lot less likely to seek help when they're struggling. And again, it goes back to the idea of having to be the strong one, having to be the one that's got it all together, is keeping it together. You know, that's the traditional idea about what a man is. So when men are struggling, it's harder for them to admit that because it kind of goes against what they've been taught for their whole life. And, you know, we know the suicide rate is very high in men, three out of four suicides are men. I don't think that's that. I don't think it's because men have more challenges than women, but maybe we're not as good as addressing those challenges early on. And when we need the support early, we don't necessarily seek it. And then, you know, other things can happen to compound how we're feeling. So if someone hears this and just feels they're not in a good place for whatever reason, they don't know if something is seriously wrong or if they're just a bit stressed out, what's the practical thing? I know you're not a medical professional. And I think we should say here the most important thing is definitely to reach out to your GP. But from your perspective, I guess if you have a friend who tells you they're a bit down, if they tell you, which is, I guess, the most important step. But what's the practical thing you advise them to do? Yes, I think there's, as you said, knowing how to signpost people to professional support is always important. So there is obviously the GP. There are charities like Mind and Calm who have, you know, trained professionals who you can speak to and the free services. So I think that's definitely to have in mind. But that being said, you know, some people just want to have a chat. Maybe they don't feel like they need that professional help, or you may not think that is something, you know, maybe they're just having a down day. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And I think it is a difficult thing to differentiate between someone who needs clinical support and someone who's just having 
kind of a difficult part of life, which is kind of the normal human experience. And they just need to chat. And so for those things, it's just about active listening, I think, you know, knowing how to have that conversation. A lot of people don't know how to have that conversation, you know, so someone might come to you and say, and start talking and you might feel uncomfortable with it. You may want to talk about yourself. You may want to deflect. You may want to give them solutions and advice when actually I just want to talk. So I think it's very important to, you know, practice active listening. And that means listening, not to speak, but just listening to hear what they've said, play back what they've said to them, ask probing questions, be supportive and encouraging. Let them know that you're there to chat anytime. Ask them if they want to, you know, if they think they need more professional help rather than assuming that that's what they want. So I think it's about learning to have that conversation. You know, I speak to a lot of people who say they have tried to speak to their friend, but actually it's been the worst thing because their friend doesn't even know what to say or was super uncomfortable and it's actually made things worse. So I think there's a responsibility for all of us actually to understand how would I respond in that scenario? What should I do? What should I say? How should I be? And it's not easy. It's something that we probably have to practice a little bit. Mm, very true. I think there's something else interesting about having conversations that came to my mind. So when people go on maternity leave, first and I'm talking here about women and assuming they're in a heterosexual couple which obviously not not all of us are if those women then want to open a conversation about the type of masculinity the type of equal parenting they might want to have what's the best way of approaching this because I can imagine that it can be sometimes people can feel quite defensive because in my experience not a representative of us all but many men feel that they're working extremely hard to provide the support that they need to provide to their new family and they're going above and beyond and they're completely exhausted but aren't allowed to show because of course it's the woman who maybe just gave birth you know <laughs> who lost all that blood and just needs to recover so yeah how do you have the conversation to instigate that turn towards eco-parenting yeah, I would definitely think about having that question even before you, you know, if it's planned, before you start trying for a baby, you know, having that conversation early on about your vision for your family. I remember when I, um, when we were expecting and we went to see our priest who, he said, you know, we had to do marriage prep and he spoke to us about the vision for our family. What do we want our family to look like, you know, in terms of in the home, who's doing what chores? What does work look like? How are you going to balance your finances, holidays, you know, education? What kind of area do you want to live in? Schools, that kind of stuff. Having a vision for your family, you know, is and having that open conversation about that. So you're both on the same page. Because sometimes, you know, relationships, we can be assuming things that the other person thinks, and that's not always the truth. So it's about just being honest with each other about our expectations. Sometimes our expectations are different to each other's expectations. So it's really important. I think we can have that conversation early on, you know, ideally before you start trying for a baby, mm-hmm. but definitely before the baby arrives. Because, you know, as you said, when the baby does come, you're just so tired and it's very easy just to go on autopilot and just do what seems like the most simple and normal thing to do. So, yeah, you know, have the conversation. But also, I think there's stuff to help that conversation that you can do in terms of it doesn't always have to be about you at the beginning you can talk about you know stories or resources that you have seen so I always find having any conversation that could be difficult say for example with my daughter you know if I want to have a conversation with her about bereavement like her granddad died earlier this year 
and you know talking to her about death and rather than just saying to her oh how do you feel about this like there's books that we can read together so we'll read the book and then have a conversation about the story in the book for example and i think we can take that approach to like adult relationships as well and rather than the pressure of what are we going to do first it can be like oh have you seen this article or have you read this or have you seen this video and having a conversation more generally can really help and then you can kind of zone into your thing so yeah that'll probably be my advice for having that conversation mm, mm, that's really excellent advice and as you i guess in your view again assuming there is a couple relationship which many people aren't in though third app wasn't particularly clear but it, so let's assume again a couple relationship and you are in a reasonably equal parenting type arrangement but you want to take it to the next level is there anything that people can do who already feel like yeah it's reasonably equal but we just want to give the man more space is there anything that you recommend they should be doing or thinking about that's a good question i think there's communities like we have a community there's others as well and you know when you talk about giving dads more space that space could be you know on their own <laughs> it can also be with other people you know other like-minded people who are talking about the same kind of stuff thinking about the same kind of stuff and so you know they can go and connect with with them and so we do you know we do monthly online sessions with dads we do partnerships with football clubs and there are ways that people can engage with us but you know there's in the workplace you might have a parenting network that you can join there's you know I'm finding different community groups popping up around you know around the UK self-organized groups for example I used to live in Walthamstow and there was a dad and baby massage class that I used to go to and I met some dads through that I mean my daughter was very young so I think it's encouraging dads to you know meet people may not be their friends who may not be in the same stage of life or thinking the same but you know get involved in communities where they can kind of have those conversations I think it's you know, as you said earlier on it, it does take a level of bravery to do things differently and it, it's weird to say that because you know, I love my life and I wouldn't have it any other way. But in kind of, you know, leaving my corporate job to talk about men's mental health and masculinity <laughs> and facilitate conversations and write books and all that sort of stuff, it's not necessarily a traditional masculine thing to do. Mm. Sometimes when I tell people, they don't even know what to say because they're like, what is that? You know, they just, just didn't expect it at all. Mm. So there's a level of bravery that's come with that. But I love it. I love my life and I think what's made it easier is that it's not just me I'm amongst men all the time who are you know being open who are challenging stereotypes who are doing things differently and so when you've got other people around you it's like okay cool well you know it's not just me so tell us more about that community you're running yeah so music football fatherhood it started when I was a new dad I guess therapy for myself I just started writing about being a dad and then a couple of years later, I wrote an article for The Independent about being the only dad in the baby group and turning up and people looking at me like I had two heads. <laughs> and yeah, that article was very popular. It was shared about 20,000 times in, in a day. It was the second most shared article, actually, only second to a Brexit article. Say no more about that. But yeah, so that's how it kind of started. And then over the years, so it's been running for five years now, it's grown to a community where we engage people for our content. So we have a blog called Music Football Fatherhood com. we have loads of articles written by dads on there hundreds of articles written by dads about different stages of parenting we have a podcast called daddy debates where we have really in-depth conversations with dads on a one-to-one -one basis 
We've done episodes with SANS, the charity around miscarriage. We've done an episode with Birth Trauma Association and dads about birth trauma and PTSD. We've done stuff around, you know, last episode was a guy who's got terminal cancer who had five weeks left to live and had to tell his 10-year-old son. So we spoke to him, you know, episodes about being a new dad in COVID, just really in-depth conversations on our podcast. And we do a lot of community events. So we do online sessions for The Lodge every month and they are themed conversations based on different things. So our next one's on the 14th, I think it is, of December. And that's going to be about kind of reflections from the year. You know, what do we want for our families in the new year? So that vision I spoke about, you know, thinking about your vision for your family for 2022. Mm. Yeah, it's also as part of our community stuff. We do partnerships with football clubs. So we did an event with Queen's Park Rangers a few weeks ago and that was amazing. They gave us their stadium for the day and we met the players and staff and got our community of dads and some dads in their community and had conversations about mental health and masculinity and stuff like that which is amazing and we've got a lot of those coming up with different clubs in in the new year so yeah that work is culminating in our book we've got a book called dad untold stories of fatherhood love mental health and masculinity which is 20 dads just sharing their stories of different experiences you know there's some real real kind of vulnerable all the stories are vulnerable and honest and open you know stories about gay fatherhood and surrogacy or stories about miscarriage, or share parental leave and work-life balance, or widowhood, postnatal depression, co-parenting. You know, I think pretty much most topics are covered by the dads in that book. So yeah, so now I'm lucky enough to do this full time, along with you know doing my talks with, with companies and my workshops and webinars. And yeah, I just feel very lucky. Sometimes I got to pinch myself and wake up and be like, wow, this is my life. I get to kind of roll out of bed and talk to people like you <laughs> about stuff and yeah I feel very lucky and very blessed to you mm. know be in this position it does sound amazing and do you think you have to be so you're obviously self-employed you're an entrepreneur do you think you have to be self-employed or you know in an environment where you can just do your own thing in order to be the type of water that you want to be or do you think you could do the same when you were employed please be as honest as you can be yeah you can see you can't see the video, obviously, but I'm smiling. <laughs> so if you're listening, because I was talking about this the other day, actually, yesterday, I was talking to a couple of my friends who both are self-employed. I don't think it's definitive, but it makes it a lot easier. You know, like say, for example, today, daughter's off school. My wife has a full-time job. It can be flexible, but I'm able to, you know, cancel some things that I was supposed to do that I'm not doing anymore. I can do things tomorrow, admin stuff I can just do later on in the week. And so I can just be around in the house, you know, and, and it's things like that where it would be difficult to do that if I was still working in the treasury, for example, and just say, actually, you know, today I'm not going to that meeting. I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. <laughs> and I have to go in the office, you know, it's a bit more difficult. So definitely like being self-employed helps, you know, it helps. Obviously a lot of people do it because of the flexibility, isn't it? Because you can largely, you know, design your life as you want, but not to say that, you know, in, there are jobs that are flexible that you know some organizations are doing amazing work around parental leave at the beginning you know companies are equalizing paternity and maternity leave flexible working and encouraging more of that on true flexible working not just you leave early on a 3 p.m on a wednesday but actually on a day-to-day basis you know you can work from home you can log off and log on as suits your family and the relationship is built on trust and output rather than where you are and when you're doing your work so I would say definitely it's easier. It is a lot easier. I can't even pretend it's not. It is a lot easier. But a lot of the work I do with companies is saying to them, look, dads now 
demanding more flexibility. You know, in 2018, BITC, Business in the Community, found one in had moved roles within that organization or moved organization to have more flexibility and you know more acknowledgement of the caring responsibilities. And more recently, working families found that even more families now and working parents are looking to balance their caring responsibilities differently from what's come out of the pandemic. So for companies, I think it's knowing that this is coming, you know, in years to come, that flexibility for everyone, but especially for parents, is not going to be a nice to have. It's going to be something that they demand. Talented people are going to demand it. So I think we are going to work, move into a world where you can actually have a job and, you know, be that active dad that you want to be. The pandemic has helped a lot with that. That's one of the good things that's happened over the last two years. But it is difficult. It's difficult, isn't it, to get that balance when you've got, you know, a full-time job and things you've got to do. Mm. But I think we do need to just make the normal, in quotation marks, workplaces more like self-employed workplaces. I've been reading a lot about Yuman and Krasi. Actually, I interviewed them, the authors of that book. And just the idea of self-organizing and self-leading your work, it seems to work really well in any setting from you know, very data-driven, very traditional environments to medicine, to charities. And actually, why can't we just have environments where we have that freedom, regardless of whether you're self-employed or employed? I really think we have to get to that. Yeah. And we need to think more about how to do that, for sure. Yeah, definitely. And it can be done. You know, I had a job in DEFRA, Department for Environment, Food and Rural Affairs. I was a head of race equality there. And I was only supposed to stay for about 18 months, but I stayed for three years. <laughs> and a lot of it was because I was kind of like, I think it's called an entrepreneur. You know, I felt like I had freedom. You know, I could plan my diary as I wanted. My manager didn't micromanage me at all. You know, on a day-to-day basis, people wouldn't know necessarily where I was going to be, but they didn't need to know. I got the job done very well. So it was like, you know, just trust me to get the job done. If I need to work from home at short notice or it's planned, just let me do that. You don't have, I don't have to report to you in the morning, but I will deliver. I will over-deliver on the outcomes, you know? And I think, I think that's where we've got to get to. We have to because we're all adults and most people try very hard at their job and they're good at their jobs. They want to do the best what they can. But trying to, you know, manage dynamics with a team and a manager while you're trying to do your job, while you're trying to manage your family life, it's just exhausting. No one needs it. <laughs> we don't need it. Just on that entrepreneurship thing then, how do you find a I mean, do you have any thoughts about how to find a job where you can be an entrepreneur? within an organization, you know, very established, maybe even a government organization, like you described, how can you become an entrepreneur or find a job where you're allowed to do that? Yeah, I think finding one is difficult because often we don't know what the job will be until we get there. (laughs) Sometimes jobs are not always advertised as they actually are. So finding one is difficult. I mean, there's things obviously you can do that you can look at the job description, the wording, you can ask questions at the interview, you can make it clear how you work and, you know, you can make a judgment from those things. But at the same time, I do feel like you can, once you're in a job, depending on obviously where it is and whatnot, but you can, once you've gained trust, you can kind of become it for yourself. When I think about the jobs I've had, where I've had an element of that. And, you know, in, say, for example, you know, I'll be very frank, in the treasury, it was harder to do that because there was such kind of a, you know, strict governance and there was very formal structures around meetings and expectations so it was difficult to play that role in defra i had complete freedom i think for a lot of the time in the part of a transport it was a real balance and mix so i had some responsibilities where i just had to do them and like you know there was no negotiation but actually a lot of that within that 
there was a lot of things that I could create. You know, I think sometimes people, you need to show people your, your creativity and your drive and the value you add before they're going to give you that complete freedom. You know, so if I'm a manager and someone's new to my team, there is an element of like, look, there's a job to be done. Like, not to say you have to do it at this particular time or place, but there are certain things you just need to do. <laughs> That's what you're paid to do. So as a manager, I'm like, look, as long, like this is the job. Like once you've can prove that you can do the job and you can show that, again, not in terms of where you do it or when, but you can get the outcomes. Once you've kind of shown you can do that, then you have license. You know, I think we, we give people license to be more creative, to start new ventures, to experiment a little bit more. And then when you do that and then you prove outcomes, you know, you build trust, you build reputation. And then you're kind of known as someone who's who does that and you're kind of let off the leash a little bit. But I think there is an element of like managers and organizations leading with trust and creating the environment and encouragement for people to do that. But at the same time, you have to be a self-starter. And I think the very nature of being an entrepreneur or an entrepreneur is being a self-starter, is realizing opportunities, is being driven, motivated yourself, not having to need someone else to set deadlines for you. You know, you set the vision, the objective, you set your own deadlines, you know? And I think if you have that intrinsically anyway, that will come through and you will do that naturally and it will happen, you know, but you have to allow yourself to do it and be confident and brave to do it. Mm. So it can definitely be done. Definitely. done. Mm, definitely. Mm. So we're coming to the end of our time. I could keep talking quite a long time <laughs> with you. It's very interesting, but if people want to find out more about where you're, what you do, um, can you just repeat the website again for those who want to check it out and anything where, where to find you really? And maybe your full name again and how it's spelled might be quite helpful. Sure, I'll start with my name. So it's E-L-L-I-O-T-T. And my surname is Ray, R-A-E. So if you go to musicfootballfatherhood.com, that's our hub. You will find the blogs on there, the podcasts, there's links to buy the book, there's videos, there's information about our community events. So if you're a dad or if you know a dad, <laughs> definitely go on there and check it out. If you're an organization or, or you work in a company and you're interested in me coming along to host a webinar or a workshop around the themes around equal parenting, about allyship, about supporting working dads, about what it means to be a man in 2021 and masculinity and dad's mental health. Those are all the topics I specialize in. I run really immersive, inclusive, interactive sessions, really built around culture change, built around open conversations. So yeah, if you just go on the website, there's all information on there as well. And there's an email address on there, hello at musicfootballfatherhood.com where you can contact me or on LinkedIn. Add me on LinkedIn, Elliot Ray, and I'm always posting stuff and reflections on there as well. So yeah, get in contact if there's, if there's of interest to you and we can talk, we can talk. Amazing. Thank you so much. And if there was one practical thing, someone who is thinking about reevaluating their masculine identity could do this week, what would be that one practical thing um, that you'd recommend to a man listening? Oh, <laughs> I've got two answers. <laughs> the first answer, I think, is to have like a moment of introspection and reflection and think about whether we are on a conveyor belt of life, just kind of doing what we've always known 
what is kind of the uh, expected thing to do and whether that really sits well, if that's really fulfilling, I would say, or if there's things that we think about that actually we might want to try differently. So I'll say that is definitely, you know, something that we can all do. The second thing is a plug for our book, which is grounded in challenging ideas about masculinity. And it's dads who have shared openly their stories and have done it in such a brave way. And I think sometimes when we're thinking about new ideas, new concepts, change, we don't really want to be preached to or we don't want to be presented with data. We want to hear stories. You know, storytelling is very powerful. And so in this book, you'll find stories from 20 dads who have written from a place of complete openness. And I think the encouragement that has given to other people who read it and then can kind of, you know, think about what that means for themselves and their families and their friends is really, really powerful. So yeah, two answers in one. Amazing. <laughs> Thank you so much, Elliot. Lovely to talk to you. You too. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining today. Lovely to have you listen um, again and listen all to the end, which uh, means that hopefully it's been really useful to you. If you're looking to also get some face-to-face support to connect with people who are in a similar situation, or even if you're looking to get some online support, we run a award-winning Leaders Plus Fellowship program, which I think you will have heard me talk about before. We are currently taking applications once a year only. It is a brilliant program. You get a senior leader mentor. You get access to inspirational role models who've been there, done that and got a t-shirt and are vulnerably, willingly sharing their stories and what they've learned. And you have really structured, high quality peer coaching and access to the latest research around what supports career progression, what supports parents at work, which will just give you some new ideas and and time to think for yourself. Um, And obviously, if you have a baby, you're very welcome to bring the baby along, be that to the online sessions or to the face-to-face sessions, assuming COVID allows, of course. And also to say, there is, very excitingly this time around, a international group um, going to be one which will be suitable for the east coast of the US and Western Europe and one which will be time-wise suitable for Asia. Um, so do take a look and I would love to see lots of you podcast listeners apply. The link is leadersplus.org.uk forward slash fellowship. And if you did like this episode, if you have any suggestions for guests, feedback, I always love to hear from you. You can reach out to me on LinkedIn, Verena Hefty. Or you can tweet me. So I'm always, if it's tweeting at leaders underscore plus, I'm probably the one checking (laughs) the tweets and the messages quite often. Yeah, so I will definitely see your message if you have something to say. Thank you for listening. And thank you for giving me this chance to have interesting conversations with people.